Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So I just want to say one quick thing about baptism. We will set up this tank and fill it and heat it anytime you want. So if you're ever at that point in your faith journey where you're thinking about baptism, I want to invite you, that Connect card you got on the way in, or if you go to our website, it's on our In the Loop page, you can fill out the Connect card online anytime. You don't even have to be here to do it. If you're interested in baptism, we want to celebrate that with you. And so anytime, we'll fill this up, and we'll have a baptism service, and we'll put out the invite to anyone who might be thinking about baptism, because this is one of the things that we love to celebrate about our faith together. So today we, as Max said, we are wrapping up our Dollars and Cents series. So some of you might be thinking, great, Brian's finally going to be done talking about money. And I don't know why it is that we think talking about money is uncomfortable in churches, because the truth is, you think about or talk about money every single day anyways. Whether that's a conversation with your spouse, whether that's a thought when you're in a store, whether you pull open your your banking app and you look at it and you're like, ah, am I going to have enough to make it to the end of the month? We think about this or talk about this anyways, so why don't we talk about it together in church? And secondly, you have financial goals, but not everyone knows how to reach them. And so in this series, we've been kind of had this main theme that we've been digging into, and that's this, that we want people to live with margin and to live on mission. And that is our hope and our goal for you in this series. Because when you live with margin, it turns your crisis into an inconvenience because you've built space into your finances. And if you were here with us last week, we talked about margin is living on less than 100% of your income. And we challenge you to say, what percentage are you living on? And the second part of this is living on mission, being able to use your money to impact what matters to you. And so for the first three weeks of this series, we've been focusing more on the first half of this, this living on margin. And so today we're going to pivot it and we're going to talk about how living with margin enables us to be able to live on mission. So just as a recap of where we've been the last three weeks, we've wrestled through three questions we, we, over the last three weeks. We said, is money a constant worry? Is it something that you stress about? Is it something that bugs you and eats at you? And the message of scripture when it comes to worry is constant. Do not worry. Worry robs your long-term goals with a short-term consideration. And so we have to wrestle away with worry and to actually choose who are we choosing to serve? What rules our life? Is it money or are we actually going to choose to devote our lives to something bigger? And then two weeks ago, we talked about is money an endless pursuit? Is it something that we all have this quest for more? And every one of us does to some level or some amount. We have a quest for more and a desire for more in us. But we can wrestle away greed when we focus on gratitude and contentment. Those are the behaviors that do away with greed. And then last week we talked about this perspective. Do we manage what we have or do we own what we have? And the truth is, none of us leave life with what we have. All of us are just temporary managers of what God has given to us. So it's up to us to say, how will we choose to manage things well? And if one of those topics you're like, that's the question I'm wrestling with, I want to encourage you to take a look at our podcast on our website sometime, and we record all our messages, and you can catch up to it that way. But our whole focus for today is this one of saying, when we live on mission, money becomes a powerful tool for good. When we choose to live with a focus, we can have an impact, we can have a legacy, we can make a difference that goes beyond the here and now. And, you know, we often understand this in terms of, like, savings, like RSPs and RESPs, and what am I doing to set my kids up for success? But we're going to take a broader perspective than that today. 
we're going to take a bigger picture and we're going to say, what is the mission that we are living? What is the bigger goal beyond the, what, the day-to-day what's here and now that we tend to focus on more than others? And we're in a church today, and so I'm just going to be really blunt and candid about this. We've been really candid in this series, and so I'm going to ask you for permission to let me continue to just, we're just going to be straightforward. We're not going to skirt around things. Let's just be direct and have the conversation we need to have. Because in a church, we sometimes have to ask this high-level question. What is the church's mission? And what, why, does, why do we gather like this? Why do we think it's important that we celebrate things like baptisms? Why do we choose to gather on a Sunday to focus on our faith? Why do we do any of what we do? And so what we're going to do to start is we're going to look at two passages of Scripture that give us this mission that says this is why the church exists. And if you're here and you're just checking this place out or maybe you're not sure where you're at on the question of faith, what you think about Jesus, here's what I want to invite you to do as I talk about these passages. I want you to consider these information. I want you to consider these to be what a church should be evaluated against. Is a church living these things out? Because for those of us who choose to put our trust in Jesus and follow him, we actually have to ask these things and say, are we living them out? Is it obvious that we do these two, what these two passages of scripture talk about? And so for the first of these two passages, we're going to go to a time near the end of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus ruffled a lot of feathers. He disturbed the peace in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that he really disturbed the peace is there was this group of leaders called the Pharisees and this group of leaders called the Sadducees. And they all had kind of their specific perspective on this is the way we should follow God. The problem was when Jesus showed up, he didn't agree with either of them. And he said, no, both of you are wrong. And so these groups of leaders were trying to figure out how do we get rid of the problem? And the problem's name is Jesus. And so they approached Jesus numerous times with questions, with, with situations. With, they tried to figure all these ways. How can we make him break a law so that we can stone him and we can arrest him and we can kill him because we just got to get rid of this problem named Jesus? So one of these times, they come to Jesus and they pose a question to him and they say, out of all of our laws, out of all of our laws, which is the most important? And they're hoping that whatever he answers, they'll be able to twist it and flip it on him and say, look, he's disrespecting the law, he needs to be killed. Because that was the way they tried to get rid of their problems in those days. I'm glad we don't do that now. But so Jesus replies to them when he gets this question, what's the most important law? And this might be a familiar passage to you where he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now Jesus never stops there. He always adds to and he adds something more. And he says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what Jesus does is he sums their entire Torah system, their entire rabbinical law, their entire practice of how they viewed themselves relating to God, and Jesus sums it up into two statements that we can put in just four words. Love God, love others. There really isn't a way to twist that, is there? See, this is the brilliance of Jesus and how he interacted with them. He gave them an answer that was so simple, yet so deep, because this has repercussions on everything. If we choose, and if we truly are loving God and loving others, the way we live our lives will be different. We won't see people as less than others. 
This, these four words do away with racism. They do away with classism. They do away with believing that any one group of people is less than any other group. This is a command to love everyone, including who voted for a different political party than you did. This is the call that Jesus gives. No matter who you vote for, no matter who, where you live, no matter what country you're from, no matter what religious belief you have, love God, love others, encompasses everything, full stop. That's our first passage. That's where we have to start from. That is the first and foremost mission of the church. Love God, love others. But of course, Jesus doesn't stop there either. Because Jesus always wants to give more. He always wants to give us more instruction. He always wants to give us what we need to move forward in our walk with him. So what happens is eventually these guys, they couldn't find a legitimate reason to get rid of Jesus, so they made one up. They found a way to convince Pilate to have, well, they arrested Jesus first, then they brought him to Pilate. They basically put Pilate in an impossible situation where the only way out of this was to kill Jesus. And so Pilate, we talk about this at Easter time, he washes his hands and says, This man's blood is not on my hands. This is on yours. And the people that the religious leaders have whipped into a fervor agree and they say, all right, we just need to do away with this Jesus. So they kill him. They crucify him on a cross. They think, end of story, we're done. Eh, not really what happened. Because three days after, Jesus starts appearing to his disciples. He rises from the grave. Everything he said he would do, he does. He tells his disciples, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be raised from the dead. The disciples don't believe him. Then Jesus does it. That's impressive. So one of these times when he's with his disciples, he says to them, I want you to meet me at this mountain. I want you to meet me at this specific place at this specific time. And so the disciples go there. And they're like, okay, what's going to happen? And so Jesus appears to them again. And at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, we, uh, Matthew recorded this for us to have it, to preserve it. And Jesus says this. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in these few sentences, Jesus gives a declaration. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And you are my followers. That is an extension to us. We are to carry that. We don't have the authority ourselves, but we carry and enact and live out the authority that Jesus Christ has. Again, it's not our authority, it's Jesus' authority, but we're entrusted to enact it. How do we enact it? Make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, teach them, because this is about the message of God's love and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and hope being transformative for the whole world. He says, teach these disciples to obey. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus ends with a promise. I am with you. Because the disciples didn't know what was going to happen next. But then Jesus gives them this promise. I will be with you. Whatever you're going to face, I will be with you. Whatever's going to happen, I will be with you. So now we add two more words to our statement before. Love God, love others, make disciples. That is the mission of the church at its most boiled down simple reason. That is the mission. That's why we exist. And for our church, we phrase it this way, that Grand Valley Church, we are here to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. 
We put God first, we love one another, and we are focused and committed to leading people into a growing relationship. And so we've got to ask ourselves sometimes, how are we doing on that? If this is our mission, how are we doing on that? So let's just go one more level of candid and bluntness. Let's just turn that, no- that knob up one more notch. We all know that the mission of God needs to be funded. The mission of God needs resources to move forward. We all know that mission is empowered by money. We know our world runs on money. We know nothing comes out of thin air. So let's just talk candidly about it. And I want to start by going back to two questions. How was Jesus able to travel and teach for three years without having a job? Have you ever wondered that? Like, actually thought, how did Jesus do what he did for three years? Like, you know, we have this, he was a carpenter, which could have meant he worked with stone or with lumber. He was a builder, was his father's trade. And, you know, they they knew of him in his hometown as, you know, he worked with his hands. But how did he go for three years without having a job and traveled all of their known area and taught to crowds and did all these things. How did he do that? And maybe you've never wondered this, but fortunately in the Gospel of Luke, Luke includes this little detail to let us know because I think he knew we might wonder this someday, so he includes it. And says, soon afterwards, this is Luke 8, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, so he's like an important political figure, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. See, right from the very beginning, when Jesus began his ministry, people were funding it. People were choosing to believe in the mission that Jesus was doing to, to preach the good news, to proclaim the kingdom. And that is how Jesus' ministry was funded. And in fact, later on in Luke 10, there's a passage where Jesus sends out these 72 disciples in pairs and he sends them, says, go into these towns. Don't take money with you. Don't take a traveler's bag. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. Go and wherever you find hospitality, stay there and preach the kingdom. Rely on the generosity and the hospitality of others as you preach the good news. So there's Jesus and his disciples. They were funded by people that contributed of their own resources by people's generosity. And then we get later in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. And Paul was an apostle who traveled and planted churches, and he was one of those Pharisees. In fact, his life before Jesus turned and transformed his life around, his job was to persecute and kill Christians. And so Paul, how was he able to travel and plant churches? Because he was active for even longer than three years. In fact, it's probably around 30 years total that Paul was active for. See, Paul's ministry was financed by a combination of generosity, and he also did some self-funding. In fact, in the book of Acts, which is the story of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Paul lived and worked with him, for they were tent makers just as he was. And tent makers, we don't know if that means literal tents, like the word for tent maker and leather worker was the same in Greek, so he worked with either hides and leather or he built tents, but he partially self-funded himself. But at the same time, Paul also received support from the people that had already received the message of Christ. 
And if we jump to the book, to the letter of Philippians, so a letter that Paul wrote later on after he'd been arrested and was being held in jail by the Roman rulers because they really didn't know what to do with Paul because they didn't have legitimate charges, but releasing him would have just upset and started more riots. So they didn't know what to do. So they kept him in jail. And Paul used this opportunity of being in jail to write letters. And these letters, Philippians is one of them. And he says near the end of Philippians, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. See, the mission for Paul to be able to travel, for Paul to be able to preach, for for the good news to be able to be shared, still requires money. Now, God could have provided for Jesus and Paul in supernatural ways. God could have. You know, we could have gone all the way back to Exodus when the Israelites were in the desert and God provided for them daily by having this bread called, bread-like substance called manna fall from the sky every morning and quail show up every night for them to have meat. God could have done that to support Paul and Jesus. But instead, God's mission to reach people with the message of Jesus was funded by generosity. That's just the way it has been always from the very beginning. So let's bring this back to us. If we want to choose to live on mission, money can be an incredible tool for good. We can take the money that we manage, the money that ultimately everything belongs to God anyways, the money that God has entrusted us to have, to manage, to use, we can choose to take that and say, how will we make an impact? How will we choose to live on a mission? What are the things that we can do with it that will have impacts that reverberate through the generations? What are the things we can do that will make a difference in the future? That's the question that we got to wrestle with when we say, how am I living on mission? So how do we be generous? Some of us are, we may be really great at doing generosity, but doing generosity and being generous, there's a, a line between them, and I hope this will help us distinguish it, because if we want to truly be generous, if we want to say, how do we be generous in ways that have an impact, in ways that shape things, there's a couple simple things that we can do. And the first one is this. To be generous, prioritize your generosity in advance. Oftentimes, our generosity is what we would call random acts of giving. You know, someone is going door-to-door canvassing and knocking for a charity or a nonprofit, and you kind of go, well, that's something I want to support. What do I have in my wallet? And we just kind of reach for whatever we've got nearby. Or maybe you're at the cashier, and they ask the question, hey, would you like to round up your purchase? Or would you like to add a dollar for so-and-so charity? And we kind of feel like, oh, okay, sure. We kind of feel guilty. How do you say no to that? It's just a dollar. Like, that is not planned out generosity. That is responsive. That is a random act of giving, and it's still good. It's still something great, but if we want to be generous truly, generous people choose to prioritize their giving in advance. That means that you choose and you research and you say, how will this gift make a difference? How will this make an impact? What am I choosing to support intentionally with it? And part of prioritize means I want to really encourage you to say, how do you do this at the beginning of the month, not with what's left over at the end? As you are all, I'm sure, after last week, you are spying on your money, you are tracking where every cent goes, choose to put how much you're giving at the top of the list as you track your spending. I'm sure you're all spying on your money. I know that, right? Right. Anyways. 
But when you prioritize your giving, when you choose to give first, you're making it a priority. You're saying, this is who I want to become. This is who I'm being. This is the way I'm going. And so make your generosity something you do first on your budget. The second thing is to take your giving and instead of making it a dollar amount, make it a percentage. Choose a percentage. Because last week we talked about living with margin means on less than 100% of your income. So choose for your generosity to be driven by a percentage, not a dollar amount. Set a goal for yourself. And you know what? That goal, you can start at 1% or half a percent or whatever goal is reasonable and feasible for you. Make it a percentage. And the reason why to do this is we often tell ourselves, especially if we're in the process of working through our finances and maybe setting up a budget for the first time, we're like, I'm trying to turn my finances around. We often tell ourselves, I'll give when I reach blank. I'll make a change when I have this much in the bank. Now, if you are in a crisis credit situation, you're like in free fall, you need to call the Credit Counseling Society, the organization that's a Canadian nonprofit that we partnered with. Tim was here this week doing that workshop on raising financially fit kids. You can grab a brochure by the debit machine in the lobby and talk to them. If you are in a crisis you got to talk to someone and get help. So there's the plug for the Credit Counseling Society. They do amazing work. They're completely nonprofit, and they help people learn about finances. But if you're in this place, if you're like, as you're turning things around, as you're saying, I want to attack my debt, I want to pay off my debt, I want to do this, choose a percentage. It can be as small as one or half a percent, whatever is feasible and reasonable for you. But the reason you make it a percentage is a percentage scales with your income. A percentage actually makes it a priority. Because a percentage is saying, whatever God gives, however God's providing for me, I'm going to give a portion of that back. And then, progressively grow that percentage. If you start at 1%, maybe you make a goal that, you know what, in six months from now, as I get my debt wrestled down, as I get my my extra spending wrestled down, I'm going to make that 1% a 2%. And that is how we can make generosity a priority. Because as we do that, Then we're saying, whatever comes in, part of that I'm choosing to live on mission with. Part of that I'm choosing to give with. Part of that I'm going to have an impact on things that go beyond me. Because, you know, we all have different opinions on how our government should run. That was obvious this week, that a lot of people are either happy or upset or wherever you're at. But ultimately what it all comes down to is everyone has different perspectives on how to solve the same problems. But our governments are not going to solve all of society's problems. In fact, that's why churches, we get this unique situation and other registered nonprofits and charities get this unique situation where the government allows churches and charities to fundraise and do things and give you even a credit on your taxes because you're doing good in ways that go beyond what the government does. And so part of, and and just out of, this is kind of a side note, there's only four countries in the world that actually give tax receipts for charitable donations to charities and religious organizations. Did you know that? Like, we're in the minority of the world. Only four countries do that. Canada, the U.S., the U.K., and New Zealand. Hmm. But when you choose to give in ways that make an impact, when you choose to give, and you know what? We have, like, the YFC galas coming up. YFC is doing amazing things in our city, in this region, that is making a difference. And I want to encourage you to find organizations that are like that, that you believe in their mission, that you believe in what they're doing, and you want to fund but one of the things that, the, that Scripture constantly comes back to at the same point 
is that your local church, where you are finding your relationship with God, part of being a community in one another, does mean that one of the the first recipients should be the local church. And I'm just going to lay it out bluntly because that's the way Scripture presents it. That when we choose to give, it is not just about, hey, we got to keep the lights on. But you know, the truth is, it's not cool to pay off the electrical bill, but if we didn't have electricity right now, we'd all just be sitting in the dark. Like, there are some realities of we live in a climate where we can't just meet outside, and maybe you're thinking we should all move to Hawaii, and maybe that's God's will for us, that we should all move to Hawaii and have outdoor church, but then what happens when a typhoon comes? (laughs) See, we may sometimes look at generosity, and we may sometimes look at it and be like, well, what's the point behind it? Well, the point behind it is exactly what we celebrated this morning with a baptism, a life being changed. Someone having the opportunity to say to our community as a whole, look at what God's doing in my life. And I hope that we're all inspired to either reflect on our own baptism, if you've been baptized, or to think, I need to check off that box on the connect cord and get baptized because God is doing something in my life and it's time for me to recognize that physically and publicly. See, I want to tell you something about what God's been doing this year alone in 2019. Many of you have been around for a while, and if you pay attention to our In the Loop email that we send out every Saturday, and once, twice a month, we run a little financial update in, and at the bottom of the In the Loop, just to kind of let you know, hey, this is where we're at as a community of faith. And if you've been here for a while, you know that we started 2019 in our line of credit. We had some deficit from last year. Our church has been kind of turning things around. But here's what's cool that happened. In January 2019, so 10 months ago, we had an unexpectedly giant donation show up that actually wiped out a huge chunk of that line of credit immediately. And it was kind of one of these things, wow, look at how God's providing. And then in May, another church in town, Cities Church, they were doing a series on generosity for six weeks. And halfway through the series, God started laying it on Pastor Ben's heart and laying it on their board's hearts and saying, you need to give away the last week of that series. And so Ben calls me up and says, hey, we want to do this. Can we, uh, when we met to say, who do we give it to? We just unanimously said, it's got to be Grand Valley. And I was like, we didn't ask for that. I mean, we've been praying for God to provide for us. And so I'm like, well, of course, I'm not going to say no to how God is you, wants to use your church to invest in the kingdom of God here that went beyond themselves. And so they gave us their church in one Sunday, raised $17,000, and they wiped out the rest of our debt. So our, wow, yeah. That is ways that God provides. See, we were already looking at what God was doing and saying, we're already on a track. You know, we're going to be able to get out of this debt. And we're going to be able to resource more into the mission of the church. And as we were on that kind of upwards climb, and it was a little bit slow, but we were making progress and we were celebrating, we were happy and we were joyful, and we are so grateful. And all of us should be grateful to one another that this is what we choose to do. Gratitude starts this. And then all of a sudden, God does two things and wipes out the line of credit. And then we start going, hey, we get to move on this mission faster. And so you guys have seen how much KidZone has changed this summer. We expected that to be one to two years from now that we were going to be able to fund and do that. And instead it happened this summer. That is the way that God provides for his mission. God funds his mission through our generosity. So let's just call it what it is. So I want to end with one passage of scripture. Paul 
as he was on his third missionary journey, he had this goal in mind and he knew he needed to get back to Jerusalem. He wanted to make it to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, this festival in the Jewish faith where they remember this time when God saved them out of Egypt. It's called the Passover because the angel of death passed over the Israelites and afflicted Egypt to demonstrate God's sovereignty and power over Egypt and over everything and over the world. And so once a year, the Jewish people celebrate this Passover. But Passover was a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do. Passover was a sign that pointed to what God would one day do with Jesus, where Jesus' death and resurrection is the Passover for all of us. So Paul wants to get to Jerusalem because he wants to preach Jesus at the Passover. But he also knows when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. In fact, everyone was saying, don't do it, Paul. Don't do it. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Stay a free man. You can do so much more. But Paul knew something. And we talked about this back in August as we talked more about Paul's journey and what happened after he was arrested. But so Paul is on his way back, and he's going to be passing by what's now the western coast of Turkey. And in there is a a little ways inland is a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a place, it was a church that Paul planted. He spent lots of time there. His protege, Timothy, was the first bishop of the churches in Ephesus and that area. And so Paul sends word ahead and says, hey, tell the elders of the church to meet me on the coast as we're going by. And I want to stop in and I want to see them. And I want to encourage them one more time because I'm not going to get to see them again. And so these elders of the church gather on the coast of Ephesus and they meet with Paul. And Paul encourages them and he says, you know, you know the mission. You know the mission to preach Christ. You know the mission to share the good news. You know what you need to do. And Paul is just, don't give up on it. And so he gives them this kind of encouraging message in Acts 29. I'd encourage you to read it. We're not going to read the whole passage. We're just going to look at one verse where he ends this. But I encourage you, read Acts 20 sometime. It is inspiring stuff. And Paul ends with this. He tells them this whole, you know the importance of the gospel. You know what you're doing. You know you got to lean in on God. And then he says this, and by the way, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's kind of this add-on at the end, but he says, oh, and don't forget this. As you preach the gospel, as you see people's lives changed, as you care for the poor, See, the church, side note for a second, as the church grew, Rome was threatened by the church because they looked at the church and said, those people take better care of our citizens than we do. And Rome prided itself on we're the best, you know, nation and empire in the known world because we take care of our citizens. And then this church starts up, these group of people believing in Jesus and they're taking better care of people. And in this Paul reminds them and says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we choose to give, and we all know this, you'd rather give a gift than get a gift anyways. We all know this, but the way that God blesses is God blesses the mission. He blesses us with his presence. He blesses people with his hope and love. And yes, God even blesses people to empower them to move the mission forward. See, when we choose to live on mission, there's actually something deeper that happens inside our hearts. When we choose to live generously, there's something even deeper that happens. We can only defeat the idol of money when we live with margin and live on mission. For many of of us, and especially we live in a capitalist society, money is the biggest idol. Money is the biggest drive. Money is the biggest desire. 
But money is an idol, and an idol is anything that we ascribe worth to that replaces God in our lives. And we can only defeat that idol when we choose to live in a way that we are generous. And so that's the challenge for us. We, our desire is we want you to live with margin and to live on mission. And I hope this series has helped us wrestle through this, has given you some starting points for how are we going to dive into this together. But if we want to get rid of the idol of money in our lives, the only way is to choose to live on mission. So let me pray for us. God, you know our hearts deeply. You created each one of us. And you know the things that afflict us. You know the things that that bother us, the, the things that attack us on a regular basis. But Lord, we also know that you are above all and you are superior to all. You are sovereign over all. And you see fit to know us on a personal relationship. You see fit to know us deeply. And God, you created the world. You created the mission that you gave us in this way because you knew it would benefit us in our journey to grow closer to you, but it would also benefit the world. And we have this big mission. This mission we look at and we say, how is this even possible to transform and change the world with your grace and your love? And your scripture points us back. Love God, love others, make disciples. So Lord, would you help us do that? Would you help us dive into what that means to live on mission? Would you empower us to look at our finances with fresh eyes? And Lord, would you empower us as a community of faith so that we can reach this mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would reach a point where we're filling up this tank every month to celebrate what you're doing in people's lives. So Lord, we just ask for your grace and your presence and your love in this, that as we wrestle through these things, Lord, would you lead us deeper to you as we follow in the footsteps of the mission you've given us. In your name we pray, amen. So I just want to, before I... Say, enjoy the rest of your day. I want to promo something that's starting next week. Next week, we're launching into a new series called Didn't See It Coming, overcoming the five greatest challenges that no one expects and everyone experiences. And so what we're going to do for the next five weeks is we're going to tackle these five topics. And we're going to talk about how these affect us, how these impact us, and actually how Scripture addresses each one of these as well. And so we're going to tackle cynicism, we're going to tackle disconnection, we're going to tackle pride, emptiness, and burnout. And you might be looking at that list and making a little mental checklist of like, yep, got that one, got that one, got that one, got that one. Or maybe you might even think like, uh, you know, that one, I'll deal with that when I'm 50. Well, why not learn now how to handle it then? So this would be a really awesome series for you to maybe consider who do you want to save a seat for? Who do you want to invite that may need to hear one of these messages to know this is how God brings hope? This is how God brings restoration. This is how life with Christ can change your life and defeat these five challenges. So folks, I want to just kind of encourage you to think about that this week. Who can you invite that needs to be here to hear these messages? So folks, have a great day. See you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.